gift, yeah, your gift is a seed You can easily be the change that we need Keep your mind alert and your heart with peace Be the change that we want to see Yeah, go and share your gift, yeah, your gift is a seed You can easily be the change that we need Keep your mind alert and fill your heart with peace Be the change that we want to see Thank you for joining us on another episode of Mentality Unchained. I am Kevin Thomas, your host, the therapist, and I have a special show today. One of the things that I'm big on is advocacy. And this young lady I've been knowing for a long time, she's actually in the work of advocacy. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome Ann Bruce. Ann, thank you for showing up for us today. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate you uh, coming through because you and I go way back for like kids. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was a kid and you was older. And I appreciate, you know, you've always helped me. You've always helped me in every aspect when it comes to career um, and when it comes to just being who I am. So I appreciate that. And I wanted people to see and know who you are. I wanted people to know what type of work you're doing. Uh, how you're helping people, how you're advocating for people. And I, I just, my, my hat's off to you for all the good work that you're doing. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Okay, so let's get into it because I just want to just chat with you. Okay. I don't want to make this hard and I don't want to make this uh, uncomfortable. So you recently uh, posted something on my uh, Facebook f uh, page and I was like blown away uh, by it because of the content one and because I've been knowing you and I didn't know you dealt with this kind of stuff. So, uh, but I will get into that too. I, but I want to really talk about what you do at CASA and tell everybody what CASA, what is CASA? Uh, CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. It's uh, Winnebago County CASA. We are located downtown. We advocate on behalf of abuse and neglected children in the juvenile abuse and neglect court system. Wow. So how long have you been there? I've been there just a little under two years. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I know, like I said, you, you're very vast in a lot of different things. And for you to go there, it had to be some type of pool for you to go into that type of work, correct? Yes, I think it's time for people to step up for our children. Mm -hmm. I mean, you read about children in the news. Uh, they're going to jail sooner. They are not learning what they need to be need to learn in school. Mm -hmm. They're just not advancing. Like uh, when we we were younger, we had people to look out for us. Right. And so when I saw the posting, I said, you know what? I'm going to apply for that job because I'm familiar with that organization. I know that they advocate for for children, and okay. I want to help children. So was this something that you've always wanted to do, or just something recently? It was, uh, I don't, you know, I, I'm going to say that it has to be a calling because I worked in education, as yeah. you know, yeah. and a lot of the students that I, I was getting in college, they had come from abuse and neglectful backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in order for me to teach them content, I had to deal with their emotional issues Ooh. first. Ooh. And there's a couple times I had taken students out to eat because they were hungry mm -hmm. and they just had a lot of different issues. What's the age group for CASA? Uh, CASA, we represent children who are from birth to mm -hmm. 18 years old, okay. and sometimes just a little bit longer if there's certain cir circumstances, if okay. they're maybe still in high school. Okay, okay. So, uh, like, you're working with the youth. I work with all 
demographics when it comes to mental health. Um, what are you seeing in, from a CASA standpoint and an advocacy standpoint be- with that age group uh, when it comes to mental health? Well, I, since I don't work directly with the children, my role is to recruit volunteers to do that. Okay. So what I know from what I'm told from the volunteers who work with the children is that they're, the children are there in the system mm-hmm. due to no fault of their own. It's because their their parents have done right. something or have not done something to cause them to be in the foster care system. Okay. So you're a recruiter. Yes. So what are the um, <clears throat> qualifications for being a volunteer? Uh, you have to be 21 years of age, high school diploma, or GED, and mm-hmm. just to have a general interest for children. We mm-hmm. do conduct a background check. Okay. Uh, we have you come in after you complete your application. We do an interview with you. The interview is probably maybe an hour long. Mm-hmm. So we get to know you, and you get to know a little bit more about the organization and our expectations. Okay, okay. So um, I'm glad you said you guys do a background, you know, because, you know, we have a lot of parents and just people mm-hmm. in general will be questioning, you know, any volunteer, but you did have, you had showed us, uh, told us what the requirements were, so which is great. So then you, by being a recruiter, do you specifically recruit uh, people of color or do you just, it doesn't matter, what are you, what are you looking for? What I look for, I strike up a conversation with you and I tell you a little bit about the program. Mm -hmm. If you are interested, I tell you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I also hear about what your interests are, if you really have a a, a genuine care or concern for children. And then I kind of take my cues from you. So so you really do kind of feed off of just connecting with people. Right. So, you know, if someone comes up there, they just don't feel right. You, You just like, okay. I think I don't think that's the right job for you. Right. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yes. That's that's good to know that it's just not uh, a guideline or or expectation that a person be qualified rather than the field and relatability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like that. That's why the interview process is so important. Mm-hmm. And we two people conduct your interview. If I've already spoken to you for some period of time, then I'm not a part of that interview process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interview will be conducted by our trainer and our facilitator or one of our advocate supervisors. Okay. So when you become a CASA volunteer, you are assigned an advocate supervisor. The mm-hmm. advocate supervisor, that person you can talk to, they're sort of your uh, advisor as you go throughout the uh, process with your case. Okay. And they help you prepare the report that you are required to re- to re- uh prepare and we teach you how to to prepare the report so you kind of go back and forth with the report we want to make sure that uh it's removed from any biases because Mm -hmm. we can't it's not what you feel it's what you observed gotcha yeah so it has to be very factual because the judge reads that report and you can make your recommendations in that report uh the the judge does listen to Mm -hmm. the casa advocate Mm -hmm. because the casa advocate is the most (laughs) consistent person within that child's life because you developing that relationship when you're in foster care system, you can go through several caseworkers mm-hmm. and you maybe go through several homes, but the CASA advocate is the constant person in that child's life. Wow. I, I like that because it's a support no matter what. Right. Even when the caseworker, because I've dealt with DCFS and I've dealt with different other, uh, <clears throat> other agencies and the turnover rate for them mm-hmm. are quite, you know, astounding just to know that mm-hmm. people come in and come and go and like that so for you guys to still be with them mm-hmm. that gives a familiarity for the for the youth and also they feel comfortable enough to you know 
be so from from the from the side of the youth though are you hearing a lot of uh information about how they are feeling about the process of going to court foster care and all that are you hearing anything not you per se but from your workers uh, from the uh, the volunteers well it's it can be pretty emotional so you do develop since you're developing that relationship with a child you become attached yeah and we hope that you do because <laughs> you can better advocate for them okay and it can be very emotional but that's okay we are there as a staff to help support you through that process I don't want to skip over something you said. You said, <laughs> you said you want them to get attached because that means they work harder. That's what you're saying? I'm saying that you become invested with that child. You oh. genuinely care about that child. I mean, if you're having an emotional reaction, mm -hmm. then you genuinely care about that child. Uh, a lot of our volunteers are different ages, and they come from different backgrounds. We, You just have to have a genuine love for children. Wow, I wish that everyone could, could do something like that because I think we need to take a interest in, in these kids. Our youth are struggling out there. And I know are. for me, on a mental health standpoint, I see a lot of struggles of not being with their, uh, their biological parents mm -hmm. or being in the system going from one place to the next. It takes a toll on them. Mm, it can and, be very stressful. Right. And so, but as for kids, though, uh, them dealing with something like that, it's just, it's a heavier weight mm -hmm. than when you're an adult. You kind of, you know, pack that stuff away and you got to keep moving, right? But as kids, yes. they feel like no one loves them, mm -hmm. no one cares. And that's why the CASA advocate is so important. Yeah. And, you know, I think that sometimes we forget that children have emotions mm -hmm. and they go through the same emotions that we do as adults. Wow. And so when you're advocating for them, we teach you different uh, t we teach you on different topics or train you on different topics. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can play a game with them. Maybe that in game involves a, a learning component to it mm -hmm. and how to manage your emotions. So we teach you a lot of things so mm -hmm. you can help advocate for that child or to reach that child to get them to talk. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that I've I didn't know that they were so in depth with the with the child like that, mm -hmm. which is great. I, mm -hmm. I love it. So now switching gears just a little bit because we have been talking a little bit about CASA and how you feel that it's a calling for you. Now let's talk about your career because y you have been in some great positions <laughs> <laughs> and I am not going to, I'm not going to uh, call them off, but you have been in some great career jobs and, uh, why is this so much more fulfilling for you? I guess that's what I'm asking. I'm not going to say this job in particular is more fulfilling than any other job that I've had. Mm -hmm. At that particular time, that job was everything. Oh, So I think that we have different seasons in yeah. our lives and mm -hmm. we're called to do certain things. And after that's over, then it's time for your next assignment. Wow. But I do feel strongly about advocating for people people of color yeah helping to you know show them opportunities that they probably were not aware of mm -hmm. or alert them to opportunities within our community do you feel that that's a responsibility for you I do I do too I do I feel it very strongly um, I have a sister as you know who lives yep. in Maryland yeah. and she keeps saying you need to move and I said I don't <laughs> feel that I said I believe right now this is where the Lord wants me because yeah. good things are happening in Rockford yeah. and we all can't leave I, I i totally agree with you on that uh <laughs> coming back from the military and i find myself back here mm -hmm. and um i did 
initially when I came back, I was mad at myself. I was like, wow, why did you come back? Because, you know, you, you, you were moving forward. Now you're moving backwards. But it, within the last couple of years, I really have been seeing the shift. And mm-hmm. I've been more invested into the community now, mm-hmm. and I'm getting involved more in the community because I do see that we can grow from this. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked what you said, too, is because the people of color, um, they are creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. And, and we sometimes we don't want to educate ourselves because we get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to ruffle the feathers a little bit so people can not feel so comfortable, but comfortable, I mean, but uh, want to move forward if they can. Um, so I will say this though. Um, I've always known you as a hard worker and you wrote something on my Facebook and I'm, I have to read this verbatim because people ain't going to believe what I say, but this is what you said. You says, um, growing up as a person of color, I was taught to suck it up, figure it out. I never saw my mother cry. I overachieved four degrees and set unrealistic expectations on myself and wore working myself to death as a badge of honor. I was taught that I had to do more to even be considered because of, of skin tone and people of color don't help one another, nor win situ- no win situation. Why did you feel the need to speak on that on a platform <laughs> such as that? <laughs> You know, and I was reluctant to do that because I don't like revealing aspects of myself because <laughs> I feel that once you tell people something, yeah. now you're, it's out there and everybody knows. Yeah. And, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. and, and I like to be undercover. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm private like that too. Yes. I'm private like that yes. too. I understand. But you, but see, now you open up another can of worms because you went on to say, you didn't just stop there talking about <laughs> overachieving in four degrees. You, you said, I'm so grateful to unlearn so many things that prevented me from seeking the help that I needed. I can remember being d- diagnosed multi-grief syndrome and anxiety. I experienced so much trauma in a short period of time. I was on autopilot. I, I sure was. And um, how I grew up is I... Like I said, I never yep. saw my mom cry, mm-hmm. and I would just think, "Wow, my mother's <laughs> she's superwoman, right?" I don't. Re- the only people that I recall crying in my family were my two sisters. My sister Linda and I, mm-hmm. we did not cry. Wow. We did not show. E- the only emotion that I think Linda and myself felt comfortable showing was anger, okay, and righteousness. <laughs> We're like, that's not right. That's or not- I'm mad. Yeah, yeah. But my sister Juanita, and today is her birthday, so happy birthday, big sister. <laughs> <laughs> she and my sister Penny, they would tears, rivers, and I would just be looking like, you can't be crying in public. Right. You can't do that uh-huh. you gotta be like mom wow but i also respected their ability to do that because mm-hmm. i just felt if i were to show emotion that people would take advantage of me Ooh. and so i use it as a form to protect myself oh you yes. got a defense mechanism yes huh? <laughs> i was like i will not cry <laughs> right and and my best friend, Bridget, who I, she and I have been best friends forever. She is my sister from a different mother. We've mm-hmm. been best friends since eighth grade. Okay. She is my crier. She will cry for me. So <laughs> if there's a funeral, Bridget's crying for me and feeling that emotion. She would just be rubbing my back and she would be crying, but really? I would not cry. Wow. I did not cry at any of my siblings' funeral or mm-hmm. my mother's. 
she did that for me. I was like, I'm just going to stuff that emotion. I mm. cannot let people see me cry because now they're going to take advantage of me. Okay. Yes. Do you still <laughs> feel that way today? I don't, but it's still a challenge to overcome. Okay. Because people are like, oh, you're human. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get that. Yes. You're so businesslike. <laughs> and I, I'm like, but that's my personality. I It, it actually is a personality trait, being yeah. businesslike. Mm -hmm. But I... You know, I'm very guarded, okay. and it's hard to unlearn 54 years of being guarded. <laughs> wow. And yes. So, yeah. That's 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 a lot. I, I will say this, though, Ann, is that it does take some time mm -hmm. and effort. Mm -hmm. it, it, it does take time and effort. Do you cry in, in your alone time? Do you, you uh, express yourself when, you, when you're alone? I have to make sure that I'm in the house by myself. Really? Yes. I mean, I won't. If Kaylee is at home, no. Mm-hmm. She has to be out of the house. I need to know when you're coming. And, you know, I will probably take a vacation one day by myself and walk on the beach and cry. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel if I cry, it may shock me and, you know, something's crazy going to happen and I don't want people to run up to me. I don't want people to comfort me when it's time for me to cry. Right. Does that make sense? Okay. So... You <laughs> I just, it, it does make sense, but you, you don't want anyone to. I just want to get it out. I feel like if I, once I tr I'm ready to really release some of the emotions over the years that I've had, mm -hmm. I feel like I will be in a fetal position crying like a baby. Really? Yes. So it's that serious. So you're, you're packing down some serious stuff, Anne. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to give you a counseling session here on, on air. I might have to see you. <laughs> But let me ask you a question. So how do you deal with the trauma and, and the anxiety of all of that? I tell myself I don't have time for that right now. Ooh. I say I don't have time for that right now. This is what needs to be done. Let's get it done. So so now <laughs> you got just, just hypothetically, you have this young lady come up to you and she's everything that you are. How do you speak to her? Because she needs to get that out. How do you speak to her? I'm very gentle with people like that. <laughs> I know how to give it. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to receive it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like that person needs to be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to walk away and say, wow, what just happened? Yeah. I don't want to damage that person. That's why it needs to be a professional. So you're, you, you deal with your own personal emotions that you don't disclose. You, you, you just protect it. I sure do. It's in a box. <laughs> It's in a box. It's called pass, present, uh -huh. and hopefully sometime. <laughs> does it ever help you? Uh, does it fuel you right now to, 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 to keep going? I mean, how does it affect you moving forward? Like, you know you got these things that you need to address. How does it affect you moving forward? I don't think if it affects me in a negative way because okay. I pour my energy into other people, mm -hmm. positive energy. Mm -hmm. I will tell people, stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Stop sa sabotaging yourself. Stop saying negative things about yourself. Mm -hmm. Stop it now. Okay. Yeah, so okay. I will tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just fascinating for someone uh, of your caliber and, and, and prestige to say that I have these things and they're locked in three different boxes. <laughs> they are. And every once in a while, 
some of them will escape just a little bit. That post is one of them. It escaped. Ooh. And so I, we <laughs> hit a nerve then. Yes. <laughs> and you know, when I'm looking around and I, I observe things, I'll get upset. And I was like, why didn't that person help that person? Mm-hmm. You you have it within your means to do it. Yeah. It's one thing to want to help and not be able to help. Mm-hmm. But if you can help someone, you should be doing it. Wow. I said, you, you have the resources for a reason, mm-hmm. not to hoard them. And I, I don't hoard. If you okay. come to my house, you'll... It's not, there's nothing hoarded. <laughs> I'm like, we're well, going to, like growing up, we, we're going to take the good tiles out for company. We're going to uh, take the uh-huh. silverware out. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we had the buffet. Mom would bring out the good silverware. Uh-huh. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, when she passed, we had t- brand new tiles, brand new sheets. They had turned different color because we never took them out mm-hmm. because she had so many. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want a lot of stuff. I want my closet. I mean, I have what I wear. Mm-hmm. If I'm not wearing it, it goes away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? You and I both, we're from Louisiana, and we know how that thing <laughs> go. But, you know, I've learned through the years to forgive our parents. When I say forgive our parents, is because I knew that they were doing only what they knew. Right. And so I don't, try, I don't hold a lot against them. But I do understand, though, that there was some things that was going on with us as youth. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they paid attention to. And I think we may have kind of packed those things down. Like you said, you may have become the person that you are. Not to say that you're a bad person, but there may be some things you may would have disclosed when you were younger because if the upbringing was different, right? I pro- I, yes. I'm going to say yes because I parent my daughter the way I want it to be parented. There you go. <laughs> I sure do. I say, go ahead, let it out. Uh-huh. I said, say it. Yeah. I said, this is a safe zone. Just tell me. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I may get upset, but tell me. Right. I said, don't worry about how, I, how I'm how i going to react. Just tell me. I, that's beautiful <laughs> because I do that too. Because um, I, I remember growing up, I felt like I couldn't express myself. Mm-hmm. And not to say that it was a bad thing or a good thing, but I just felt like whatever I had inside had to stay inside. Yep. And so that's tough. And that's mm-hmm. tough with... Uh, black Americans, people of color, we have to deal with those dynamics of it. But our parents, they may have done it for a reason. You know, growing up, when yeah. they were growing up. Safety. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they had to protect themselves emotionally and physically. So we get the brunt of that. And I don't want, I wonder how many of us carry that on to gener- to our genera- to generations after generation. And we just pack it down. We do, but... I always tell my daughter, this is what my mom used to do, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. Also, you already tell her. Yes. Okay. And I said, I don't, you know, I, I didn't dislike my mom. I love my mom. I think I consider myself to be the the most difficult child (laughs) because my, I was constantly, don't say that. And as soon as people would come, I would say it (laughs) and I was like, I'll take my, I'll take my, my beating later, but I'm going to say it. (laughs) Look, look, just say it like your whooping later because that's what they do. I was like, I'm going to say it. And everybody would be looking. It's like, Ann's going to say it. I was like, I'm going to say it. (laughs) And I was like, well, if I'm going to get a beating later, I'm going to keep on talking. But you understood though why yeah. mom told you not to but yes. you did it because you felt like you had a, you needed to use your voice why did you do it because my mom i felt like my mom was too nice to people Ooh. and i was like no right. <laughs> and she to me she was really nice and she did a lot of things for people that i i just didn't agree with i w- would have told people no mm-hmm. go away figure it out on your own but my mom 
I saw her a lot of times helping. We had so many people staying with us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my siblings would bring people home. I wake up and they go, "Who is that?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, they needed a place to stay. Right, I'm like, right. okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, we grew up with these big families like that, and that's what they did. You yeah, know? it was always that family family atmosphere, the way they seen it mm-hmm. at least. Um, so you having all of this. Uh, the the multi grief syndrome, the uh, anxiety, the trauma, mm. and now you find yourself dealing with kids in casa that deal with these similar issues. How do you deal with that? For me, for me, I can I definitely identify with those children mm. if they're going through grief and they're having to to just pack up their whatever their belongings mm-hmm. are and move to the next house. I see that if they had someone looking out for them, making sure that their voice is heard, mm-hmm. you know, that would make a difference. Because mm-hmm. for me, I was my own voice. Mm-hmm. And just imagine my brother Cleveland also was my voice because okay. he communicated in a non-threatening manner right. <laughs> for did. me. He, he sure did. So I would say he, I'm the, I was the beast and he was the beauty. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Because okay. I would just say it and he would just tell me, you lack tack, Missy. You just can't say it that way. And I'd say, well, it's this way. <laughs> so, do you work on that tag now? You know, I not so much because I've gotten it down packed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I understand that when you say things that you cannot take them back, I don't care how angry you are. Right. And right. so, God has worked with me a lot. <laughs> okay. Because I've had people come up to me and go, Boy, you were a real B. You know, Ooh. I didn't like you. You were really? yes. Ooh. This is when I was a child, and okay. I would have people older than me come uh-huh. up and tell me that you've really changed. You're not the same person. Well, I would hope not mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm not the same person. Okay. So I've learned that you just can't say things in the heat of the moment. So gotcha. if I'm quiet, it's because I don't want to damage someone. What kind of um what kind of advice do you give people that's dealing with anxiety and uh, multi-grief uh, syndrome like you do and trauma as you do? For me, I journal. I, I tell people the, that all the time. I'm glad you yeah, do it. Thank you for listening. I journal. In. Thank you. Thank I get, you. I, I'm, I t- people go, well, what if someone finds your journal? And I was like, well, I put it in a place where people weren't looking for it. Mm-hmm. I've gotten journals. <laughs> And I can go back to those journals because I date them and I can see that I've overcome certain things and I've grown and that makes me happy. Wow. The growth. I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I have journals everywhere. See? I got two Different offices. colors. I got two offices. I got a journal in them. I have a bag that I carry. I have it in the bag. Mm-hmm. I have it in the car. Yep. I have it in the basement. I have journals because I truly believe that if you can get all of those things out of your head onto mm-hmm. a page, then you can dump it and come back to it later mm-hmm. and deal with it later. I date yeah. it as well yeah. because I, I like to see where I've come from. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great trait. I try to tell people uh, about journaling. They're like, oh, how do you write? And look, it's just relieving for me to do it. I love doing it. I love writing anyway. It's an emotional dumping. Absolutely. And maybe that's how I've been able to deal with all the trauma that I've had. Wow. Yeah, Because I can say things in my journal that I couldn't say, say to other lot. people. Because sometimes when you're expressing yourself people ask you a million questions mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you may not want to answer all those questions yeah. and so i feel i just felt safer putting it in my journal is there one thing that you're safe with talking about now um when it comes to your trauma or your anxiety or your grief 
because I don't want to put you on the spot to do anything like that, but I want you to feel safe because I want the show is really about helping people. Right. And they hear what we talk about, hear the things that we discuss, and they're looking for something to hold on to. So is there something that you're willing to talk about that can help someone else? When you are on emotional overload and if you need help, ask for help. Gotcha. And I've learned to do that. I would say things like, I'm not in a good place to process that right now. And I don't want to talk about it right now. So I had to learn how to tell people that because if I didn't, I would become super defensive Mm -hmm. and now I'm on the attack. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And so I said, you know what? It's okay Mm -hmm. to tell people that I'm not in a good space to talk about that or I don't feel comfortable sharing that with you. Yeah. I mean, I have people that I can talk to, but I don't have, I don't tell them the same things. Mm -hmm. You got to know who to tell people things too. You, you're absolutely right yeah. with that. I, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always tell my clients, I don't care what they're dealing with, is mm-hmm. that you have to have a good support system. Mm-hmm. No matter what uh, illness you're dealing with, you need someone to support you through it all. Because there are some dark days. Mm-hmm. There are some times when you can't deal with yourself and, and more or less with people. So having a support system, someone that can just be there to either listen or just sit with you mm-hmm. and then can tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. So I truly believe that, that those are important aspects of, of dealing with any type of mental illness, any type of stress-related things, anxiety, anything. You have to have a good support system. So with that being said, how does CASA support what you do and what you believe in when it comes to people of color in your advocacy work? So we are aggressively looking to recruit people of color. Okay. I mean, that's why we are doing more so- social media ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a couple television commercials that will be airing pretty Ooh, soon. Okay. And we are just trying to reach that demographic because we want to have uh, recruiters, I mean, volunteers that represent the children that we serve. Okay. And we need people of color to step up. It's important that um, they see people that look like them. Exactly. Because I hear all the time, well, you don't have any people of color. You don't have any Hispanics. You don't have any black people. Mm-hmm. Where are all the men? And that just that's any color. Yeah. <laughs> Where are the men? You know, because yeah. little boys, we have lots of boys in our program. Mm-hmm. And those boys need to they need men to step up and give them that that male figure that they need. Because, you know, we talk about um, women I guess this is the year for women. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I hear women everything. Right. But you know what? Just because it's the year or the month for women doesn't mean that men should take a step backwards. I agree. Step forward, grab that woman's hand, and come forward and help. It, it, seems, it seems like we take a step backwards when women try to step forward. Yes. It's almost like we say, okay, if you want it, you can have it. Yes. And it shouldn't be like that. We should be stepping forward together, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I, I, I know how that works because I'm one of very few black male therapists in Rockford. And so I, I understand that, mm-hmm. but I'm crying out for help as well mm-hmm. from our young black men and also just men in general mm-hmm. to step up. Because like you said, there are young boys that are out there that are suffering in silence. They don't have a male figure. That's and true. not to say that women can't do that, but uh, we need male figures to stand up and help. I mean, I know it feels like sometimes it's not our place. It's not our job. It's not, you know, we got our own kids to worry about, but 
to see someone su- someone else suffer, mm-hmm. that's not a good feeling. We have 114 CASA volunteers right now. 114? 114. You still need more? We are looking for 130 volunteers by the end of the year Mm -hmm. to reach the children that we serve. Because the children that we serve are appointed by the judge. So you just can't walk up and say, I want a CASA. Mm -hmm. The judge has to appoint us. And in order to meet that goal, we need... 130 volunteers. So do you guys have kids already on a waiting list for a CASA worker, or how does that work? I'm not going to say that it's a waiting list, but that's a good way to look at it. Okay. Because the judge can't appoint a CASA if there's no volunteer there. Okay, okay. And so we are aggressively looking Mm -hmm. for those 130 volunteers. And, you know, you can do this as a partnership. You can do it with your best friend. You can do it with your spouse. You can tag team. Both mm-hmm. two people can come into the program mm-hmm. and represent that child. Can you explain to me what a, uh, I guess, a daily or weekly agenda would be for a CASA worker? Like, say, if I came in as a CASA worker, what would my schedule look like and what would I be doing? Well, your schedule depends on the child's schedule. So if the child's in school all day, mm-hmm. then you would probably want to schedule your visits for after school. Okay. Visit or to their home. Visit to the house. Okay, okay. Or you can also visit the child at their school. Okay. Because we're going to give you a document. The judge is going to give you a document mm-hmm. allowing you to have access to all the people that that child has access to. So you have the right to see the child's report cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get the right to see the medical reports or anything like that. So it sounds like to me is. It's a mentorship type of thing, is it? Or am I I too? You know what? You can, yeah, you can think of it like that. I just, I just think of it as stepping up for a child. Yeah. Because if I'm a mentor, even like, you know, at the YMCA's and stuff like that, you know, you're involved with the kids after school programs, school programs, Mm -hmm. making sure they're doing the things that they need to advocating for them if you can and, and in court, stuff like that. And it just sounds like a mentorship for me, but it's more of a, it's a commitment too, though. It is a commitment. It's a it's a greater commitment than any other commitment that I can think of that other organizations who are looking for volunteers mm-hmm. would undergo. Because we are asking for a two year commitment, and it's necessary because the children are in the system, and depending on what their parents have to do in order to get their children back, mm-hmm. you need to be able to be in it long enough to support that child. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will say that you said this before that it is volunteers, so they need to know what they're getting into mm-hmm. before they decide to do that. But you volunteer once a month. That is your minimum requirement. Once a month, that's required. But some of our volunteers, they they do more than once a month. I would imagine so. If you're <laughs> going to do something like that. It's once a month, every month. And yeah. it's consistent. I don't think I can do anything once a month. I have to do a little bit, give them a little bit more time. But because that's that's what I think that that's where it starts to pull on the heartstring of of people. You can call them. Yeah, because if you care for uh, people in general and these are kids, Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to you're going to check in more than once a month. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's a a, a good thing. But a minimum of one one time a month, that's not getting it. <laughs> and you know, a lot of people tell me, I've had people tell me, well, I'll do it when I'm, I'm, I retire. Okay. Well, our children need your help now. So <laughs> they mm-hmm. need your help now. We have men and women who, who work a full-time job and they're doing this. So if you have your, if your case is up for court, mm-hmm. you are required to come to court and you're not in court every month. No mm-hmm. court cases in court every month. So you, 
arrange for your job to have your lunch hour changed or you use some some paid time off. I was going to say, I don't know, not one court here in America that allow you to take a lunch break and go back. It takes so long to go you, when you're in court. We Hopefully, with all with the need in Rockford, that organizations will start to implement programs that will allow you to do volunteerism mm-hmm. as a benefit. Oh, okay. Like Phil Fastner. Hmm. Yeah, or, the Phil Fastner organization, they have a program where their employees can volunteer mm-hmm. on company time. Okay. Oh. Wouldn't that be wow. great if every organization in Absolutely. Rockford would do that? Hmm? Absolutely. I don't think they even think on that level because when you – uh, help people and allow people to help other people. I mean, they they want to work there. That's I mean, like I want to be at a place like that. Mm-hmm. When I heard about that, I was like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> they pay people to volunteer. It's a win for both the yeah. organization and the employee because you're giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. You're helping people within the community, and so the opportunity for the children to grow up and put back into the community in a positive way is greater. So I think it's a win for both. What's the name of this company again? Because I think a lot of people need to hear that name. <laughs> it's called Field Fastener. Field Fastener. Okay, mm-hmm. guys, y'all hear that. <laughs> it's. I think it's a wonderful organization. I, I was able to do a presentation for them. Good, good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and what are you doing right now? Are you just traveling around, just doing media circuit? What are you doing right now for CASA? I will usually have either breakfast or lunch with people. Mm -hmm. I do presentations. Mm -hmm. We are, we have a program now called my Casa and my church. Well, we will come to your church and Mm -hmm. we will set up our table and Mm -hmm. we will talk to people who are interested. Okay. One-on-one. So is Casa the name of the company you work for? Is it? It's called Winnebago County Casa. Okay. And Casa stands for court appointed special advocate. Okay. So Winnebago Casa. So you guys keep that in mind. Um, Before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit uh, more about you personally. Um, what's the next step for Anne? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> right now, my I have a personal mission, and my personal mission is to help as many people of color as I possibly can mm-hmm. get to where they need to be and to help inspire them to help other people of color to step up mm-hmm. and step out of their comfort zones okay. don't be afraid to advocate for a talented person of color mm-hmm. it takes nothing away from you okay. it, it absolutely um, enhances your life it makes you feel better okay. and I say that because I've encountered a lot of pe- people of color who are reluctant to speak up for someone that they know who was talented mm. because I don't know what their reasoning is but I just feel that that's wrong really? you if you know someone who would be great for a position, mm-hmm. advocate for that person. It's not mm-hmm. going to take anything away from you. I will say that you do that well. I, I get um, uh, messengers and LinkedIn <laughs> messages from you <laughs> said, hey, check this position out. Check this position out. So you have done that. You know, you, you speak, you walk what you speak. And I definitely can uh, appreciate that. Um, but if you had any advice moving forward, for a young lady out there that is dealing with what you dealt with, and then also from a professional standpoint, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say to do the thing that you're afraid to do, and it's okay to do it afraid and to have a shaky voice as you do it. And I saw that uh, quote come up on Ron Kluwer's page again, Mm -hmm. and it reminded me, speak up or... 
I know I'm going to get it wrong, but it said something like speak up or speak out, Mm -hmm. even if your voice shakes a little bit. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so just do the thing that you're afraid of. And what I used to tell students when I was teaching is that sometimes you have to protect your goal, your dream. Yeah. And not tell people about it until it's able to stand on its own. True. So the less people that you tell about certain things and you nurture it Mm -hmm. and then as it develops, then you can share it with people. But don't allow people to dampen your spirit before you're ready to receive rejection because you're going to be rejected no matter what. Whenever you're doing something that you want to do, opposition or adversity always comes. Absolutely. But you have to be your own cheerleader. Mm. And that's, I'm my own cheerleader. And I do the cheers (laughs) at home. Yes. You do cheers at home? Yes, I do. (laughs) And I'll do the dance and I'll get the, the crazy looks from my daughters like, yeah, yeah. But I'm my own cheerleader. If you tell me I can't, I already know that I can. Wow. That's because you. Because I believe what I say more than anybody else says. Because I live with me. I know me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, it's like, you're not responsible for other people's opinion about you. Because at <laughs> the end of the day, they can say <laughs> and tell you all this stuff about you, but they're not doing the things necessary for themselves. That's true. So, you know, why take all that advice or those that criticism from them when they're just stopping you from doing the things that you love to do. And the other thing is don't let how someone else see you, Mm. you know, because I've had people say, well, I don't see you in that role. And I was like, you know what? That's okay. I'll go over here and I'll show you I'm in that role. Let me ask you this. And I know, (laughs) I know I'm trying to get out of here, but I can't, how does, how, how do you face challenges as a uh, black American female when it comes to stuff like that when you're climbing a ladder and when people are saying don't you can't uh that's not for you all these things you just push past that where does that come from i'm stubborn (laughs) (laughs) if i want it like the song says if i want it (laughs) i go after what i want okay and yeah i go after what i want if i can't get it here i'm gonna get it there someone's gonna give it to me Mm -hmm. have you faced discrimination Yes, lots of times. And, you know, I just don't let it affect me. And I think that people who discriminate discriminate against other people, I think that they just need some love because that just makes no sense to me. It's like me hating you because you wear Nikes and I wear Reeboks. Right, right, which is crazy. Yes. Don't make any sense to me. Well, so, Ann, we're about to get ready to get out of here. And I, I definitely have enjoyed this conversation. And I always tell people... And maybe it's just me. I just love to talk. (laughs) And so if we could talk two and three hours on here, I would love to do that. Uh, But I do know people's uh, attention span is not as long. But (laughs) I'm going to say this. How do people get in touch with you? How do people connect with you when it comes to CASA? And then just a mentorship or, or, or whatever. How do they get in contact with you? So if you want to become a volunteer for CASA, it's uh, you want to go to visit our website and it's WinnebagoCountyCASA.org. You fill out the application. If you want us to come and speak to you at your organization or your mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. there's an email address on there. Just mm-hmm. um, click on the email address, or you can contact me personally at mm-hmm. abruce at winnebagocountycasa.org. Okay. Now, uh, uh, I, I, I forgot to say this, too, is what about national? I know this is just statewide, mm-hmm. and, and do you know if there is a CASA in other states? I do. There is a, approximately 70,000 CASAs in local state and 
local governments. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know because, you know, every all uh, everybody listens to this podcast mm-hmm. from different places, and I wanted them to know that it's just not in Illinois. So CASA is nationwide. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Seattle, Washington is the first began the first CASA. Okay, okay. So if you're looking for a CASA in your state, in your city, uh, there is one. There's there nationwide. She said over 70,000, I think she said. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you're reaching out to volunteer with your CASA, and I'm going to give it some consideration. I'm saying that because I, my, I'm doing so much, and, and I'm trying not to make any excuses, but, <laughs> but I'm going to think about that. But um, – I, I want to thank you for coming out. And then you also um, going to be at the mental health forum we're having in May. Yes, I am. I'm excited <laughs> to have you. So Anne will be on the panel discussion uh, in May for our mental health forum at the Norloff Center in Rockford, Illinois, 118 North Main. Uh, we will be starting from 10 to 2 p.m. So make sure you come out, support us. Uh, and we'll be there along with other people that uh, important people that will give great information about um, mental health resources, just like Ann gave us today about CASA. And so we're just really just trying to help people. We're collaborating together and trying to help people grow, be better uh, human beings, and then to love one another. Because I think that if we all love one another, we can help each other. And we won't have all this poverty and all this stigma and stereotyping. Mm -hmm. We can get rid of all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, like I always say, uh, we all have the ability to change our situation only if we focus on what we can focus on. Make sure you guys hit me up, subscribe at YouTube, uh, Instagram. Uh, I'm on TikTok now, so y'all make sure y'all support me on TikTok and make sure you listen to the podcast. Thank you again, Ann, for showing up. Thank you for having me. All right.